Amy Trask, who is the author of You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League, now available on paperback, joins us right now on The Fan. Amy, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to join you. I appreciate you inviting me to do so. Oh, well, the, stop it. The honor is all mine. <laughs> okay, should we spend the next, like, I don't know, how many minutes should we argue about that? <laughs> no more. I got, <laughs> okay. I got a lot to ask. All right. So uh, you negotiate like girls, the title of the book. We'll start there. Of all the things that Al Davis said to you in your career there with the Raiders, on page 19, there's a whole list of them. Some clean, so obscene. What made you land on this quote for the title? Well, Mike Freeman actually helped me figure that out. I had come up with a very serious sort of scholarly, um, otherwise known as boring title for it. And in reading the draft of, of the book that I wrote, Mike said, what about this as a title? And I thought, you know what, Mike, you are absolutely right. And I picked up the phone and I called him. I said, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's a brilliant idea. So he gets all the credit for the title. What was your original title? Without regard. And the concept was going to be without regard to gender. So, you know, a good title and a meaningful title to me and, and relevant to the book, of course, but not as a a sort of interesting uh, and creative as that, which Mike came up with. You know, so I was thinking my next question was, I mean, people might look at this book and be like, oh, you negotiate like a girl. No, because I was expecting all of that. But you really painstakingly or maybe on purpose, maybe not kind of presented all the information through this like gender blind lens. Why was that important to you? Well, I will note before I share my answer with you that um, the best advice I've ever received in my life was from my mom, who told me from the time I was a little girl to thine own self be true. And as moms can do, she told me that over and over and over again. And as kids can do, um, perhaps particularly little girls can do, I rolled my eyes whenever she did. But it was the best advice I've ever received. And the reason I share that with you before I answer your question is, I did what worked for me. And it worked very well for me. It doesn't mean my approach will work for other people. I did my job without regard to my gender. I didn't think about my gender. I thought about doing the job. It never made sense to me. It still doesn't make sense to me that I would want to walk into a room with the hope, with the expectation that no one would be thinking about my gender if I was thinking about my gender. And I am asked um, quite a bit, do I believe I was tested because I was a woman. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's very fair to assume I was. Well, people are tested all the time. We're tested because of our race, our gender, our age, our religion, our ethnicity, um, our seniority, our educational background. Well, what's the best thing to do when you're tested? Pass, Pass the damn test. Exactly. Pass the damn test. So that's where I put my focus fascinating to me one of the most fascinating parts of the entire book to me was kind of like this peek behind the curtain if you will at at these owner meetings I mean like getting of the chairs these water cooler moments and what would you like anybody that would be interested in this listening right now to know about your experience alongside Al in these meetings well I'm glad you mentioned alongside Al because I just finished telling you about my approach to gender and it's important for me to share that I know 
I had the tremendous, tremendous fortune of working for someone who hired me without regard to gender and didn't give a damn about my gender. And I understand that not everyone has that tremendous fortune. And, you know, you just noted beside Al, when I went to my very first NFL owners meeting, I was the only woman in the room. But I was sitting next to Al. And I think that sent a powerful message. The owners meetings are uh, quite a bit different than I think anyone would expect. There's the annual meeting, which is attended by a number of people from every club. And then there are the meetings where everything gets done. And those are the one per club and two per club meetings. And I should say, at the beginning of my career, when I went to the two per club meetings, it was with Al. And then I started going to the one per club meetings without him. But he was there at the start. And it was nice to be sitting beside him. You are, you're fortunate. You said, you used the word fortunate and and so did I. You're fortunate to have had Al champion you and and your work in front of others. So what would you say to women now in 2022 that are still um, kind of facing a resistance in their workplace? Well, again, hearkening back to what my mother advised me to thine own self be true. Everybody handles things, should handle things in the manner that works best for them. What worked best for me was getting the job done. Uh, Look, uh, and again, you know, I I mentioned this over again because I'm certainly well aware that uh, Al wasn't concerned with, focused on, didn't give a damn about my gender, and that sent a powerful message. But that doesn't mean that other people didn't care. I just didn't care that they cared. You mentioned uh, Wellington Mara, Dan Rooney, um, and of course, this is a New York sports radio station. So you mentioned them by name as and this is the quote men that provided encouragement throughout my time in the league. What could you tell us about your experiences with Wellington Mara and the Mara family? Well, and I will focus on Wellington. You are in the New York market, of course, but the men that I noted in particular were stalwarts of the league. Wellington Mara, Lamar Hunt, Dan Rooney. There, there were a number of them. Um, and, and the reason I noted that um, in the book was several fold. When I started my career with the Raiders, the league and, and the Raiders were on opposite sides of litigation. And there was a dispute that was ongoing when I joined the team. And by the way, I know I will sound like a five-year-old when I say this, but I will forever say this and I will forever sound like a five-year-old when I do. But whenever the litigation comes up, I'm quick to point out, Mom, they started it. So that footnote aside, I entered that first meeting as the first woman in that room at a time when the league and the Raiders uh, were involved in this dispute. And you know what? The other person I'm going to name, in addition to Wellington Mara, Dan Rooney, Lamar Hunt, is another New York team. And I will mention Ralph Wilson. Those four men who were such an important, important part of the league made a point of reaching out to me at my very first meeting and offering me support and encouragement. And they did so for decades to come and focusing on Wellington in particular. Wellington was very, very clear in those meetings that he had significant business disputes with Al. And he thus had every reason from a simply business perspective to ignore me or to, um, disagree with me whenever he could. But he made a point, again, from that first meeting I attended, 
of offering me his support and encouragement. And does that mean we didn't disagree on business points? Of course, that didn't mean that. But he was tremendous throughout my career. You mentioned, obviously, the bill, alluding to the Bills. You've got Kim Pegula, who is now one of the principal owners of the Buffalo Bills. I mean, how how far so fast? How far? I, I don't know what I'm saying, if I'm saying that the right way, but that's pretty cool now, right? Well, and there there are women who are involved with ownership, as you mentioned, Pim, Kim Pagula with the Bills. Uh, Charlotte Anderson is Jerry Jones' daughter, and she's involved with the Cowboys. So there are women involved in ownership positions. Uh, as to my career, when I started, I mentioned that I was the only woman in that room. But then the room, um, there were other women in that room throughout my career. Jeannie Bonk with the Chargers, Hannah Gordon with the 49ers, Donna Ponte, who at the time was with the Dolphins and is now with the league office. So, yes, there have been women added to that room, whether in employee positions or ownership positions. Right. You know, you don't, you did not mention the owners by name that were not so welcoming to you. Why did you choose to do it that way? Because you had a platform to put them on blast. You know, I did. I could have done that with owners who were not as welcoming. I could have done that with, you know, staff and others. Yeah. It's just, you know, to thine own self be true. And that's not something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Former Raiders top, top executive Amy Trask joins us now on the fan. You talk a lot about hard work, and, and I'm with you. I'm right up there with you. First, you know, first car in, last car to leave. Do you feel, because at times I do, do you feel like you have to or had to have outworked your male peers in order to earn the same level of respect? I didn't ever sense that, but that's because I didn't ever think about that. Mm-hmm. So um, perhaps if I had focused on that, I might have sensed that, but I didn't give it any thought. I was um, raised to believe in hard work. Uh, I think hard work matters. And by the way, your hard work is evident in all you do. I'm a fan of your work, and it's clear how hard you work. And that's the manner in which I was raised, which is work hard. Work as hard as you can. And when you think you can't work any harder, find a way to work harder. So that's what I did. If I took time to focus on that, which you just raised, perhaps I would have noted that, but I don't know. There was this guy and I hated him through the pages of your book. And he stood up at this owner's meeting and he said to you, listen, girly. I mean, one, how condescending, but do you hope he's reading the book? Uh, He will know who he was if he did read the book. Um, I, I actually... I couldn't help it, but I laughed. I mean, I understand people thought I should have gotten outraged and people thought I should have, you know, stood up and had a, you know, just had a moment with him. But when he said that, I was so taken aback and I'm thinking, who the hell uses the word girly? Um, So I sort of kind of laughed. You know, things that were said to you or about you seem to be deflected with, you know, like, like Teflon here. Um, What's, maybe a poignant instance where something kind of slipped through that proverbial armor? Oh, wow. That is a great, great question. And one I'll have to give some thought. Um, I Nothing pops to my head off, you know, sort of off the top of my head. Um, and, and that's not to suggest there weren't those moments, but I'm not recalling any right now. Amy Trask, author of You Negotiate Like a Girl is with us on the fan. Um, you said you were frequently stopped. Those are your words. Uh, once you and the Raiders enter the stadium, headed towards the field. Um, in those instances, what were those experiences like for you? You know, you're walking in with the team. 
I just started smiling when you asked the question because there were actually some good moments related there too. And one I recall distinctly was when we were in Green Bay playing the Packers. So we get off the team buses and the players walk through the tunnel and, you know, some headed straight to the field, most headed straight to the locker room. Our equipment guys are going on the field and I'm walking through the tunnel with a few other people on business staff. I'm credentialed. We all have credentials hanging from our waistband or from our necks. And I exit the tunnel and go to step on the field and I'm stopped. Nobody else is stopped, but I'm stopped. And all of a sudden, Red Batty, who is the longtime, longtime equipment manager from the Packers, who's over on his team's side of the field doing all the work that he needed to do pregame sees that security is stopping me he recognizes the reason they are and he ran dropped everything he was doing he literally dropped the equipment on the bench and ran over and said let her in um and so you know there's those who would focus on the fact that i was stopped and i was but my focus was on the fact that here's Red Batty dropping everything he was doing for the home team to help me out. I'm with the visiting team. And yet he took his time to do that. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I just want to say thank you, too, because I worked for the Giants, I guess it was uh, a year, 2019. I worked for them for a year. Um, but I just I, I was never asked to show my credential. And it was kind of like we belonged, you know, so I just you know wanted to say thanks. Well, that's really neat. Well, thank you very much for saying that. There were also two pages in the book where you talked about how Al Davis refused to let his team play in the, the segregated South. Um, he said he didn't want to say anything about it publicly. You disagree with that publicity sort of aspect of it. Why? Well, um, thank you for mentioning that. And by the way, you know, I'm well aware, given your marketplace and, and given the breadth and scope of those who follow you, the areas in which you are followed, that there will be people listening to this who are Raider fans and people who hate the Raiders, people who loved Al and people who couldn't stand him. But if we're all being intellectually honest, he did things that were not even being discussed then when he hired Tom Flores and then he hired me and then he hired Art Shell and that which you did just referenced was well before that. Uh, there were two instances in which um, in one case, a team in another case, I believe it was an all-star game were scheduled to be played in areas in the segregated South. And the, the one story I remember discussing with him, I mean, I discussed them all with him, but one which stands out is um, he was on the phone with the people organizing the game and, and they said, okay, you know, we've got two hotels ready for you. And he said, no, 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 I don't need, you know, we don't need two hotels. We don't have that large of a, of a traveling group. And the guy kind of hemmed and hawed and said, no, we have two hotels for you. And, you know, Al started losing his patience and said, I just said, we don't need two hotels. We're not that big of a traveling party. And the person hemmed and hawed again and explained, all your players can't stay together in the same hotel. The white players will be in one hotel and the blacks in another. And Al said, oh, oh, I gotcha. And the guy sort of breathed a sigh, you know, a sigh of relief. Ah, he gets it. And Al says, yeah, I gotcha. We're not coming. And he got the game moved. He refused to play it. And it's things like that that make a difference in the world. And I felt, and I shared with him on a few occasions, that he should um, be credited 
for all he did in terms of what we now refer to as diversity and inclusiveness. And the reason I say we now refer to it as diversity and inclusiveness is that wasn't a phrase. Those weren't topics. Those weren't issues that were being discussed at the time he hired me or when he did this with having those games moved. And his response to me was always, I don't want to receive any credit for it. You know, I I often said to Al that I thought he deserved credit for what he did, for hiring Tom Flores, for hiring me, for hiring Art Shell, for having those games moved out of the segregated South. And his response to me was, hey, I don't want credit. And that was the man he was. He didn't want credit for doing the right thing. What else did Al Davis do along that same vein that, that the world does not know about? Oh, he did a lot of things um, very, very quietly, took care of players and their families who needed help and never, ever let it be known publicly. Amy Trask uh, with us on the fan right now, former CEO of the Raiders, lawyer, host on CBS Sports Network, author of You Negotiate Like a Girl. You know, a leadership quality, which I also loved about you and what you wrote about is it was important to you to go through the um, what's it called metal detectors with the fans go to the concession stands, sit amongst the fans. Um, What were some of the changes that came out of that or were as a result of your findings? Well, we made adjustments to stadium processes. And I I was very, very um, firm about this with all the people on staff. I said, if you are on the staff of a team and you are driving into the parking lot with your parking credential and being ushered into a staff parking lot and going in through a staff uh, entry without having to go through security. And by the way, this started well before there were metal detectors, but you know, even so I, I started doing this with staff well before there were metal detectors, but even, you know, again, after there were, and if you're uh, walking into staff dining areas and you're not having to wait in concession lines and you're not having to go to public restrooms, you're not fully understanding the experience of the fans. So throughout my career, I would make a point every game of using a public restroom at our home stadium, of using, you know, if I wanted something, I'd wait in a concession line. I would see how long the line was. Uh, I would go through security. I would wait in line because otherwise you're not fully understanding the experience of the fans and you cannot do as good a job trying to make improvements to that experience. Right. Maybe like what, like what's maybe one thing, like a concrete thing that you said, okay, this needs to change. And then it did. Boy, I'll try to think, well, you know, we revamped some of our parking um, processes. Did it make it perfect? Of course not. The stadium was located um, well, in Los Angeles, it was one issue. In Oakland, it was another. But it they were located in a manner in which, of course, there were traffics. But we had traffic. But we adjusted some of the manners in which fans could access the parking lots. We shifted some of the concession stands. So if you only wanted certain limited items, you could go to one stand and perhaps have a shorter line. We made adjustments like that. Did we make it perfect? Of course not. When you've got 60 plus thousand people in a building, there's going to be lines to get in and out. But that doesn't mean you can't do all you can to minimize the difficulties. Sure. Amy Trask, who has spent a career in the front office of the the Raiders organization, L.A., Oakland, both places, um, is with us here on the fan. Amy, I wanted to kind of zoom out and, and maybe talk about some, you know, business applicable in business in general, like 
I, I like that you talked about the entitlement mentality, how that's apparent to you and in, in, in the hiring process, um, because it, it seems more prevalent now more than ever. How do you assess that? If you, you know, when you hire someone, how is that entitlement mentality either there or not? And how does it affect your decision? It is important to me when interviewing someone, and it always has been, that I understand what that person believes they can contribute to the organization and how they wish to contribute. So if that which you are referring to is an interview experience I've I've shared, um, when you're interviewing someone and that person spends the entirety of the interview or the bulk of the interview explaining why that job is good for him or good for her, my reaction, my thought was always, okay, you're telling me why this job is good for you. Why are you good for this job? Why are you good for the organization? When you work for an organization, when you work for an entity, how are you going to contribute? Convince the person or try to convince the person who is interviewing you how you can make the entity, the organization, the business better than it is. How will you contribute? You know, I I am, and and if this is what you're referring to, boy, oh boy, um, it does get me all head up to sit and listen to someone spend an entire interview telling me why the job is good for them. Okay, tell me why you're good for the job. Amy Trask joins us here on The Fan. You said certainly not every moment was fun and circumstances and situations could be tremendously difficult, challenging and, and stressful, but we were fortunate to be doing what we did. Your most stressful day on the job was, I have a feeling it involves an overhead projector. (laughs) You know, I was not even at that press conference and I wasn't there because I was behaving rather petulantly. Al and I were in tremendous disagreement about um, that issue of, of the termination of the head coach, not necessarily whether he should terminate him or not, but I didn't like the way Al was going about it. I didn't like the manner in which he was proceeding. And again, not necessarily the underlying decision, but how he was approaching it. So I opted rather childlike on my part, not to attend the press conference. I just didn't go. It was downstairs. I was sitting in my office. I turned on the television. We had an internal feed. And I see the press conference start, and behind Al is this giant white screen. And I'm thinking, you know, not only are they having this press conference, they don't even have the backdrop up with our sponsor. And I mean, I was angry, and I, uh, you know, I'm saying they to you, but I was saying we at the time, you know, we don't even have the backdrop up. We're doing this so poorly. And I had two other people in my office, and I'm staring and I'm staring. And then the camera cuts and it shows the overhead projector. And I realize it's not that the backdrop isn't up. That's a screen. Well, I didn't even know we had an overhead projector until that moment. And I am proud to tell you that after that moment, after that press conference, um, well, there was a funny interaction with my husband. After we got through the next few days of absolute stress, I said to my husband, I'm going to find that overhead projector and I am going to destroy it. I'm going to throw it away. I mean, I went on a rant and my husband looked at me and said, oh, no, that baby's going to Canton, meaning the overhead projector. Well, I want you to know 
I went into the office the next day and I hit it so it couldn't be used again. That was a stressful period because in the wake of that, the sponsor calls, the advertiser calls, all the media, there was a lot of stress. Um, the worst day of my career was getting the phone call that Al had passed away. You know, I was going to just go there. Amy Trask, the author of You Negotiate Like a Girl, is with us on the fan. Um, I checked the dates and everything and just wanted to be sure. You wrote the book after Al Davis passed away. Why not earlier so he could enjoy it too? Uh, I wrote the book after I left the organization. When Al passed away, um, wow, I had been with the organization. I was with the organization almost 30 years, if you include the years I was an intern. And when Al passed away, it was in season. It was in October. And my focus immediately was, you know, we got to get through the season. What do we have to do to get through the season? How do we get through the season? The entire focus was getting through the season. And it wasn't until the season was over that I began what was a very, very long process of deciding, should I stay or should I go? Do I stick with the team? Do I leave the team? And I, you know, I was like um, the Shakespearean to be or not to be, only it was to stay or not to stay. And it was the hardest decision I ever made but it was the right decision. And by the way, I, I understand when I say that it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make that that you know, is a reflection of how fortunate I have been in life, but it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make and it was the right decision. And it never occurred to me before I left that I would ever think of writing a book, but I love to write and I just started putting everything down on paper and I had a lot of fun writing it. Amy, the spirit of Al Davis is thumbing through. Uh, you negotiate like a girl laughing probably that I don't know him, but he's probably laughing that you used his quote as the title. What would he say to you about about your book? I don't think I can say that without maybe getting you in trouble with, you know, governmental authorities or otherwise for using the language he would. Um, but he would say it with a smile on his face. And you know what? For those of you who haven't read the book, it's the quote I share in the book that he said all the time, all the time. Uh, one of the words rhymes with truck. And he would have said it with a smile on his face. Uh, well, Amy Trask, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And tell, tell them where they could pick up a copy of your book. Oh, wow. Thank you for asking. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's on a number of sites and it is now out in paperback, which is kind of fun. Which is what I have. You negotiate like a girl. Um, it's lessons that are business applicable, just not if you're at a, you know, an NFL level, but at any business. So Amy, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.